there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this episode, I sat down with Dwayne Skolton, owner of Skolton's Equipment, and his son, Mike, who's the marketing manager and works in sales. In 1980, Dwayne decided to leave his father-in-law's dairy farm and started selling used equipment that he'd buy from the Midwest and then sell back at home in Washington. After taking on a few short lines, the opportunity to buy a Kubota dealership presented itself in 1988. Today, the dealership has two locations and has made its mark in the forage harvester business. Before we head over to Dwayne and Mike, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. Okay, let's get things going. This is the RDLR story of Skolton's Equipment. Dwayne, can you just tell me a little bit about how, um, I know the, the business started in 1980, just kind of tell me how that came to be and how you got involved. Well, I started working for my dad-in-law on a dairy farm, and I was born and raised on a dairy farm, so that was in my DNA the whole time, and I met my wife in college in Iowa, and uh, after several years, I came out here to Washington, to Sumas, Washington, to work for my dad-in-law on the dairy farm, milking cows, 200-cow dairy. So... That's where my roots are. And then while milking for him, I noticed that late model tractors and uh, farm equipment was basically non-existent here unless it had a ton of hours on it was wore out. So I started hauling late model John Deere tractors from the Midwest with my connections I had back in Iowa. Uh, That's how I started Skolton's Equipment. Uh, started fixing the neighbor's tractors, and one thing led to another, and, and within a year, I told my dad and I wanted to go pursue that full-time by myself, and um, yeah, so then I left the dairy farm. Okay, and then at one point, did the business expand to be selling new equipment as well? Well, uh, within the first year, Ironically, the new the first new line I sold was Wessendorf loaders built in okay. Ottawa, Iowa, and nobody knew about them out here, and they were kind of very popular in Iowa already. So that was my first new line. Ironically, the first year, but you know that was probably I didn't really get in the new business until I had an opportunity to purchase a bit a Kubota dealership in town that was struggling. That was in 88, 1988. I purchased a, a Kubota Gale Pat dealership in town. Echo wow. Bobcat dealership, yeah. And then we, so then I had the, had to combine both dealerships because I already had eight employees, eight, nine employees at my business by that time, which okay. I was operating in a very remote location for eight years. And then, um, then we had a chance to combine both dealerships. Uh, that was a real struggle because I was trying to run both shops, and they were probably 15 miles apart. And unfortunately, the guys that were at that grew with me that I hired first felt a little bit rejected because I was spending all my time at the new place. So then right. we had to add on to this place, and I combined forces, and several of the employees are still with me. Oh, that's awesome. So in those early years of combining the two businesses, did you find that some of those original customers turned into being customers who bought new, or did they kind of remain a 
used equipment buyer? I guess I never really thought of that. I lost some of the customers because I was in I was in Sumas, which had no dealerships at all. So when okay. I moved to Linton, I moved in the thick of four competing dealerships around me, very successful dealerships, and and so then you know I was uh, kind of in the trenches of war, if you will, <laughs> in the retail market because they didn't too much like this new kid that came up and started and used equipment and. Now suddenly they not only had to deal with me and used, uh, you know, I was selling new iron as well. So anyway, to lose customers, I would say no, but we we gained a lot of customers uh, okay. because we we're in an easier place to get to. And then I didn't realize that till we moved to Linden how valuable it was to be in the hub of where everybody else was. Okay. Because we said I was 15 miles outside of the normal circle. So so how was that adjusting to having that direct competition kind of around you and not being so isolated? Yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I'm not <laughs> going to say it wasn't a struggle because I cut off all the people. The people I was serving, they naturally it was easier for them to come to me than to come to Linden. So once I was in Linden, I picked up a bunch of customers that I didn't have before, but I also lost a few because now they sh- they could go anywhere in town. So that that was pretty normal. I probably shouldn't have, if I was shocked, I probably shouldn't have been shocked. So. Right. And how was kind of starting this new business, or at least once you bought the the dealership that had the new equipment in, in, in the midst of the 80s, it was sort of the tail end of the 80s, so maybe things were starting to improve a little bit, but was that... Um, a challenge in uh, in and of itself. The challenge was is is being suddenly I had to report to manufacturers, which you know prior to that Westendorf and Icrop they were relatively small, didn't didn't try to tell me anything. Now suddenly being a Kubota dealer, a Bobcat dealer, that that area I wasn't quite as prepared for as I could have been. Now okay. I, then I knew what all my dealer friends talked about. <laughs> having a manufacturer now suddenly dictate some stuff to you, which is still going on today. We all know that. It's not no secret. Right. That's probably the biggest adjustment. Okay, yeah, because that, that's really a big difference from just buying and selling stuff on your own and only really answering to your customers. So then since buying that store, how has the business continued to evolve and grow You know, over the last 25, 30 years? Well, we were we were blessed to be picked to be the JCB dealer in the area. That was a big feather in my cap when that happened because they had, you know, so once that happened, it kind of, I realized, hey, if they picked me over all the other dealerships in town, that was a pretty big deal. And then, yeah. but, but probably my biggest strength through the whole first 20 years was my used equipment background. So a couple things happened when I became because we always had to advertise price, mm-hmm. and I did a lot of advertising in Oregon, which is 300 and some miles away from here, because they had a Capital Press paper, and it's still existing today. But I was one of the first farm equipment dealers to advertise price, and I found that somewhat when I came to Linden, none of my competitors advertised prices either. They would advertise the stuff, but never price it. So if you remember back in the 80s, that might not have been as common in the Midwest, but out in the West Coast, 
people just didn't advertise the price. So okay. I was a bit of a renegade when I did that and wasn't appreciated much by my competitors, <laughs> but I found out my customers really liked it because we didn't negotiate much off of that price. And we still do that today. Uh, and we don't negotiate much off the price. So, or we try not to negotiate at all, to be honest with you. So anyway. Well, is that on new and used? The yeah. price issue? Yes. Okay. We do it on everything. Okay. Yes. So the other thing I noticed when I bought the Linden store, so that was in 1988, they already had, I was the only salesman when I started. And when I bought the Linden store, I inherited a couple salesmen, which worked for me until they retired. The fascinating thing is, is which it's hard to believe, but back in the 1980s, the salesmen here didn't know what their costs were. They just operated off list price and tried to sell stuff off list and, and you know, would negotiate and stuff. And I, I was just shocked. I was horrified. I said, what do you mean you don't know what your costs are? How can you operate a business and not know your costs? Yeah. So I just gave them the, my inventory sheets and, and, and said, this is what our costs are. I mean, you got to know that. That was a big surprise to me. And, and I think it existed for quite a while in this industry that salesmen weren't privy to cost. And mm-hmm. and, 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 and like owners would, didn't really want to share any of that information. So that was a big evolvement. I'm assuming today... Hopefully, most salesmen operate off of a cost, but I still find it somewhat true when I call places, they have no idea what their cost is because nobody ever told them. They right. got what to sell it for. I've been a very open book. I mean, there's not too much in my life that is private. So, um, <laughs> Did it seem like it helped their sales once they knew that? It did. You know, it definitely helped them because obviously, you know, you have to know when you're making money, you can feel good, but you also have to know, ooh, we're, yeah. we're going to lose money on this deal, right? So, you know, if they know that, they, they, they got something to work for instead of, so that was some of the things in the 80s that kind of surprised me that was still going on. And, you know, I, I, so today we still do that. Everybody, we all operate off the same price. Okay. And then, Mike, when did you get involved in the business? I don't know when I was born, I think. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, officially, I came back in 2014. Okay. Uh, but but basically been around your whole life. Yeah, I've been around my whole life. But I went to school, and then after I got home to school, I, um, I wanted to work here right away. I honestly did. Uh, but my dad has a family rule to go work somewhere else for five years. So I didn't want to compete against the family business, so I tried to pick a place far enough away but still close enough that I could come back. Mm-hmm. I picked uh, – well, I worked at RDO Equipment for five years. But, yeah. No, that was actually – I learned more at RDO Equipment than I did in college, that's for sure. Just because the college is so basic and broad, I just I – didn't, you know, you learn some things, but – I learned more being in an industry setting with another dealership and try to carry some of the good stuff back. Right. What were you doing at RDO for that time? Sales. Well, Jim, you not... tried really hard to make me break the rule. Just so <laughs> I think well, he, he hung around. It seemed like he hung around home after college for almost a year. <laughs> waiting to... for you to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Well, you went to a good place to learn. So. Yeah. That's no, 
I, I, to be honest with you, I know he already knows this. I'm not so sure the rule shouldn't be stretched to seven years. Um, it doesn't hurt. I mean, and, and I've had many dealers tell me, oh, man, I wish I would have done that, you know, when they get their sons involved. And, and uh, it, it's been a real blessing. It really mm-hmm. has. Unfortunately, two of my kids never came back. So there, there's both sides to that. So, right. Yeah. They all work for me while they were going through school. Um, so they were they were part of the fabric of the business while they were growing up and going through school. Okay. Is is Mike the only one of your the kids that is there now, or are there Presently, others? Presently, yes. The okay. only one. Yeah. Okay. Mike, what sort of memories do you have from, from growing up in the dealership and being around, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, as a college student? Uh, my job was primarily washing tractors many years, and one of my favorite things was to wash tractors close to where the salesman was trying to sell something, and I was trying to listen in on what he was trying to sell, and I, I just kind of gleaned off that type of thing, um, and to a point where I, instead of going and getting a salesman, because we have a lot of walk-in traffic here, I would try to sell it myself eventually, and kind of that was my favorite, one of my favorite things, and doing deliveries was always fun growing up, but um, I also, I also kind of remember the competitive nature of the whole business, and and I'm a competitive guy, and I the, I hated to hear we lost something to something. And growing up, I always took it really personal, like you know, so and so bought this or so and so bought that, and we lost that. So I remember back when I was a kid, it was a big deal. The the Heston windrowers were very competitive to the John Deere, and I hated to see. I had like a friend in school that they bought a John Deere, and it, I took it really personal. But, <laughs> I try not to let it show, but I, at the same time, I, I always try to, I don't know, promote the business growing up. And Yeah. But it was fun. It definitely was. We'll get back to the Skolton Equipment story in a minute. But first, I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Skolton's equipment with Dwayne sharing how their second location came about and the challenges that came along with growing that store. So you guys added a second store in the 90s. You know, what led to that expansion and and growing the business that way? Well, yes, we did. Early 90s, I think 92-ish, 90, maybe even before that. It was actually... uh, it was part of the business that I bought in 88 in Linden. Okay. And, and it it wasn't good. And they eventually closed it. It was a branch store about 40 miles from here in Mount Vernon, and they closed it because I, I just didn't want anything to do with it because it was losing money. Yeah. And so they closed it. Well, then Kubota actually wanted another dealership there, and so that's, they kind of forced my hand was either I start a dealership or they're going to give it to one of my competitors. And I didn't want that. So then we started that from scratch. That was, that took about two, three years to get that to even break even. And okay. um, so anyway, but it's, uh, it's done really well. It's right now they probably sell close to as many Kubotas as we do. And, and they've done really well. fact is, we're just uh, we're just in the process of expanding that store. Oh, that's awesome! In just like the the facility itself, or 
the facility we're going to expand and we we moved three times so it's been painful uh, <laughs> the first two or three years we actually moved to three different locations and and none of them worked out really well in fact is I actually had the bank tell me, Dwayne, if you're going to continue, uh, you're on your own. And that was kind of like, ooh, now yeah. you're going against your banker, right? Your banker just told you to um, cut it off, quit, because we were struck, we were losing money. We were dropping 50, 60 grand a year, uh, which is pretty easy to do in any dealership that's not. And then so we got. But that was all at that second location or? The first couple of years the of second the business. Location, second okay. location cost me money. Okay. And my stubbornness said, I want to try it one more time. You can, it's always hard to admit defeat. <laughs> and, uh, and so I tried it one more time and we turned it around. And, and, and it's been, now it's been really good. So. Do the two stores serve similar customer bases or is it different? Pretty close. Similar customer base. We have about a, well, we used to have 100 dairies within 15-mile radius of our store. They probably only had 30, okay. and that's, that ratio is still pretty close. But they, they have a lot more potential uh, weekend farmers at okay. their store than we do. So that, that part's better at their store. Okay. Um, and then how else has, I guess, beyond just the expanding to another location, how has the business kind of evolved over the years and grown? Would be a big one. Yeah, we got the Kloss franchise in 2004, and and because I had been, already been buying a lot of self-propelled forage harvesters, primarily deer, uh, we kind of owned that market. Even though our deer dealer, you know, was right across the street, but they weren't. They just didn't do much in self-propelled forage harvesters, and I was buying and selling them used quite heavily already. Okay in the late nineties. And, um, so then we, we had an opportunity to become a class dealer and I got to trade all them John Deere choppers back in. <laughs> the class has been really big. Um, uh, and we've expanded our, I would say our reputation in class is good, uh, above average by far. I got a lot of guys that like to be heroes and that's what it takes to be in the forage harvester business. You got to have service technicians that love being heroes because if they don't have that trait you shouldn't be in the forage harvester business so yeah and that's that's been a big blessing to us um we pay them guys well and uh they've 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 made scolton's equipment stand above the rest as far as that goes and we sell ironically uh, most people have a hard time believing this but we sell forage harvesters everywhere we delivered three of them to hawaii 10 wow. years ago, we del- you know, we just sold one into Utah. We sold one into Manitoba, Canada, mostly off of our service reputation. Um, and knowing it's hard market to be in if you're only selling one or two a year. It's right. really a tough market to be in. So, so that's our specialty. Forage harvesters? Yes. So are you still providing service to those customers that are that far away? One hundred percent, yes. I, I I will load a person on an airplane and and fly them over there. But if, if we t- we try to fix it all over the phone, but yeah, we've we've actually and we got a rule that we truck. If the guy buys a harvester from us, he will never pay more than two dollars a loaded mile to have it hauled. 
and a lot of times they they calculate the miles we guarantee that rate and um, it's worked out really well it really has do they wish I was closer to them absolutely we got a big uh, contingent of, of cloth harvester owners in Oregon fact is our that market's probably just as big as our local market but do they wish we were closer to them? Absolutely. They they always say, "Well, Dwayne, when are you going to put a store down here?" And we we've been trying, but that 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 will be another broad podcast, maybe at a later. Yeah. <laughs> How far is is that from where you guys are based? About 350 miles. Okay. It's another pocket of dairy farmers, a big okay. pocket of dairy farmers. So we understand dairy farmers probably, and I'll. I'll I'm not to brag, but we probably understand dairy farmers better than most dealerships do and recognize that it's 724 with a dairy farmer. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's very important to have service people that like being heroes because if you don't, dairy farmers will tax you because they need you 724. Right. The cows need them that frequently, so you're, they're going to need you that frequently right. or that regularly. All right. What's ahead then? You know, you said maybe something in Oregon, that's the next podcast, but what's uh, maybe more immediate, what's what's ahead for the dealership? To continue to improve our website. Um, we're very proud of our website. I think we have and credit that to my son and, and the other young people we've hired because it, it, websites burn people out. Uh, it's very tedious work. It's very monotonous work. And I think we've been through internally a couple web people already because uh, that's something I started before Mike was here, but Mike took it to another level. And I always, right off the bat, we recognized how important it was that your website was current. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a big deal. And ever since that happened, our our walk-in traffic is incredible. We enjoy walk-in traffic uh, enough to keep three, four salesmen here that you you can't hardly leave. Wow! Um, and I want to continue that. I you know so that's right now. If, if I I don't even want to see salesmen talking on the phone if somebody walks in the door. I, they got but they better hang up because that person that walked in the door. Uh, he's he's a way more potential buyer than someone who calls you on the phone. Right. So, and most of our competitors, I'm pretty thankful, have not recognized that. So, um, but that's so is that deal. just? It's clear enough that you have something that they potentially want to buy by looking at your website to get them to actually come in and and talk to you. They were able to get enough information on what was, on what they were looking for. Our, our content on our website is really current, and we have everything priced um, on our website. And that not a lot of new end use and a lot of new items, but not a lot of dealers take the time to do it. And I understand why it's kind of a pain, mm-hmm. but we do it, and, that, and it seems to work. Yeah, credit to Mike and and the other guys that work on the website on a daily basis. Most of the customers that come through our door know more about what they intend on buying than we do, especially me, because I have a hard time keeping up with the Kubota side. And we're, we're predominantly talking Kubota products, but okay. it's just fascinating. A lot of times, because of our website, and they've been on our website, they know exactly 
what we're talking about. And there's usually no question. They just go, okay, we want to see it firsthand and we're here. And a lot of times it's with their wives and with their family. And it's a customer that we uh, we're very thankful for. Anything else that, you know, from the history standpoint that we might have missed um, as you grew through the years or uh, anything like that? Well, the funny thing is, is probably a reflection is I come from a family of truck drivers. Uh, my dad was a truck driver. My brothers are truck drivers and farmers. There, and, and I always dreamed of having my own truck. Ironically, by the time I was able to afford our own truck, uh, I didn't have the time to drive it, so, <laughs> but I still like doing it. So probably some of the memories my kids share is jumping in the semi with dad and driving back to Iowa and, and, or coming back this way. So, um, not all of them were enjoyable because when you pack four kids in a truck or at least three of the, and your wife is, it's kind of crowded, but that's, right. that's how we got started. So, I mean, um, but anyway, just a reflection on how the business has changed. I, changed. I just went my CDL updated, so I'm still hoping to make a trip. Uh, so, well, once a year, so. Do you go to pick up some of that equipment that you're buying then yourself and go oh, get it? Oh, yeah, that's part of our business. Yeah, we, we do. So I've, I've had a full-time semi on the road ever since we started. Okay. So, yeah, we, and it, we make two to three trips a month to the Midwest. Okay. And, but most of that's used equipment. Hardly okay. any because the new equipment's getting a little tough to get into the factories. They don't like they don't like will call anymore like they used to. Right. Well, especially right now. With the um used equipment that you're buying, is it, you know, mostly tractors? Is it mostly forage harvesters? What is it that you're you're usually coming to the Midwest to pick up? Mostly tractors uh, and forage harvesters, um, and the, and I probably should talk a little bit how that was so successful because I stayed away from anything with hours on it. So my reputation was basically low hour stuff. Back in the day, uh, I would buy forty four forty John Deere's, and I doubt I ever bought one with over a thousand hours on it. They were always a thousand hours or less. And um, we'd buy them and haul them out here, and I'd sell them with a 100% 100-hour drivetrain warranty. And we still do that today. I mean, I never – so the warranty worked that if, something, if they thought something was wrong with the tractor, they could actually opt to return the tractor, and I'd give them all their money back. Oh, wow. Or I'd fix it. Okay. And uh, kept me away from buying junk. So Yeah. We, we, our reputation is low hour. Um, so sometimes it's a little tough to trade in high hour stuff because we don't know what to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. We're not used to that market, but that's kind of how I started in the used equipment business and that's stayed the same. And that's just a in-house type warranty that you guys have created yep. on your own? Okay. Yep. Yeah, and we, we, we don't. Yeah, we we eat it. I mean, if something happens, it's it's on us. We don't. We're not selling it to another insurance company or anything like that. Okay. That's our, our own deal. So, okay. what that does is is on the flip side of that is you're going to make sure that that thing leaves here. You know, every blinker 
better work, every light better work, and, and we fully service them, dyno them. We dyno forage harvesters, which I think we might be the only place in North America that does. We, we, we set up our dyno specially, so we, we dyno forage harvesters. And to my knowledge, nobody else is doing that. Thanks so much to Dwayne and Mike for taking the time to sit down and share their story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lassitermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Dwayne and Mike Spolton. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast.